Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From the epistle of James, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning, friends. I watched the Penn State game yesterday. Went to bed with eight minutes to go. Penn State was up two touchdowns. 20 minutes later, I woke up. Game over. OU won by one point. I thought I'd have great sermon fodder for today, but not, not to be. Anyway, today we're going to finish up our sermon series on the Epistle of James. And um, if you've been here the past five weeks, or you've been watching us online or listening to us on podcast, you know that we've, been, we've covered a lot of different topics, but really we've been just sort of circling the same idea, and it's this, that how are we as Christians called to live differently from the culture in which we live? How are you and I as Christians called to live differently from the world? And so if you could boil the whole letter of James down to one takeaway, one bullet point, one one refrigerator magnet, right? One tweet. It would be this. If you've been saved, act like it. And the reason is because your, your behavior, your priorities, the things that you crave and the things that you say and the things that you want, all the stuff we've been talking about for five weeks, these things all are a diagnostic tool for you to use about where your heart really is. As my dad used to say, you know, son, talk is cheap. And he's right. What we, if you use James effectively, what you'll see is that the things that you say and you desire in this world really tell you a lot more about your heart than you're probably willing to admit. And that's the whole point. But here's the thing. If the takeaway is you've been saved, act like it, then what about this great big elephant in the living room that we haven't even talked about? And it's this. I mean, if you think about it, James and the entire gospel, the entire New Testament, Jesus' whole message is that we are saved from hell by grace, God's gift. The Greek word is charis, and it means that Jesus' death on the cross in my place and in yours, if you receive it, God gives you that gift, that grace, that free, unmerited payment for your sins, which you neither earned or deserve. Me either. God knows. And yet, God in his grace and mercy points us to that. So the point is, if we're not saved by what we do, right, but rather by what Jesus has done in our place by God's grace, then here's the question, which I hope you've wondered. Why bother? (laughs) Why act good if acting good doesn't save you? Why act good if your good works don't save you? Well, we're going to wrap up James and answer that question this morning. And he tells us with two verses in this epistle, two points, how we live, what that does. First thing, first point is how we lives, how we live helps us to flourish, point number one. And then point number two, how we live saves others from hell. So how we live helps us to flourish. And then how we live, point number two, how that saves others from hell. So 
Point number one, why do we act a certain way? Why do we act differently? Well, part of it is, it's the way that we flourish in this life. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 13. James asks the question, and it's really cool. He says, are any of you, are any among you suffering? And that you is y'all. It's, uh, he's talking to the church. Are any of y'all suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing. I want to look at these two things, these two ideas, this juxtaposition of suffering and joy. And the first question is, are any of you suffering? Well, what does that mean, Father? Well, most of us think of suffering as great, big, physical, serious illness, right? Or uh, somebody dies, or there's a great big tragedy, an airplane crashes, something like that. I don't know. But that word for suffering is the Greek word, which actually is a, means something different. It's the Greek word kakopatheo. And it means to experience evil, to experience wrong in all of its forms. It doesn't have to be great big stuff. It can be little things. It's something which you experience in this world which is evil and causes you suffering. Let me give you an example. Um, you guys heard about that um, Brett Kavanaugh thing, right? Anybody watch that on TV? Well, as he's being questioned, if you watched it, I did, part of it. As he was being questioned, he was struggling. He was suffering. His wife, which was right off to his shoulder, was crying. Dr. Ford, in her own testimony was clearly shaken, clearly suffering. That is precisely what James is talking about. Being charged with a crime, being blamed, being betrayed, losing your job, stress, health issues, feeling lousy, even small things like Penn State losing to OU. This is my point though, friends. Suffering is not just great big whiz-bang stuff, according to James, it's whatever it is in your life that is causing you to struggle and suffer. And friends, listen, the idea here is that this is something which happens daily. Think of something in your own life right now which is causing you stress, suffering, anxiety, worry. Doesn't have to be big. Could be. Doesn't have to be. Something physical or emotional, a relationship gone bad, somebody who's sick that you care about, somebody you're worried about, something that you fear, big or small. Point is this. All of us, every person in this room, including me, is suffering in one way or another, even now, big or small, every single day, every single day. So what do you do? <laughs> this is the key. Well, our culture says wine. Complain. Write an anonymous blog post. Cast blame. Point the finger. Make excuses. You ever heard of a guy named Lou Holtz? Stay with the football thing for a moment. Lou Holtz, one of my heroes, great guy. The dude is just hilarious and doesn't mean to be. But he said once at a commencement address, he said, look, he said, don't complain. Lou Holtz said 90% of the people don't want to hear it. And the other 10% are glad you're suffering. <laughs> He's onto something. Lou Holtz, coach of uh, Notre Dame. But this is the point I'm trying to see. James is showing us how to live 
differently than the world. The world does exactly that. Complains, whines, points fingers, hashtags, different things. But what does James say? He says, when you suffer, not if, when. When you suffer, he says, pray. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means, Lord, help me, obviously. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, stop that person from doing what they're doing. But the point I want you to see here is that what prayer does is it reorients your heart from the current thing you're suffering to him. You see it? Prayer takes your focus from the issue that's been placed before you, the thing you're suffering against, and moves that focus heavenward. Back on Thursday, when Kavanaugh was being uh, interviewed, or I guess you'd say interviewed, he said this, he gave this very thing. He said that when he was going to bed the night before with his daughters and saying prayers before bed, his 10-year-old daughter said, Daddy, we should pray for Dr. Ford. And Kavanaugh, in tears, boy, I can relate to this, said, there's a lot of wisdom in that 10-year-old. That 10-year-old girl, who's a Christian, by the way, Kavanaugh's a Catholic, what did she do when she was suffering? She said, Pop, we got to pray. Let's refocus our focus from this issue we're fearful of and focus instead on the Lord. So friends, here it is. Ready? When you suffer, when you suffer, are you a whiner or are you a prayer? You're probably somewhere in the middle, which is, which is James's whole point. He's trying to show you where you are so that you can get better. If you are suffering, pray. Keep a God-centered focus. And if you're not sure what that looks like, friends, crack open the scriptures and read the Psalms. The psalmist, when he prays to God, is not always flowers and butterflies. I hate to tell you. Some of, those, some of the prayers the psalmist makes are brutal. Lord, stop this person from what they're doing to me. Kill him, Lord. <laughs> but Lord, you're in control. That's the whole point. You see what I'm saying? That God wants you, when you suffer, to reorient your focus heavenward. On the other hand, and the flip side, James says, when you are cheerful, sing. You know, we all vacillate between suffering and joy, right? We have good days and bad days, my mom used to say. And Paul says, or James says, when you are cheerful, sing songs to God. Praise. When I was in seminary, um, life, it was really hard, man. It was full of suffering. And I learned later that was actually part of it, right? That you go to seminary to be, uh, to be, uh, have some of that burned off, the old you, and, and, and be made more in the Lord's image. Uh, but I learned something in seminary. I went to seminary in Pittsburgh, which, by the way, if you don't know this, the sun goes behind the clouds in about mid-September and doesn't come back out again until May. He goes on vacation. The sun does all winter. And uh, I learned something in seminary very, very important. I learned to be thankful for even the smallest, stupidest, minor things that the Lord placed in my path. I'll never forget one day walking out to go for my run, which I went on every day, and I opened the door, had my cap, my baseball cap on, put my earbuds in, opened the door, and it was sunny, which is a big surprise in Pittsburgh. And I said, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you. A small thing. A small thing. But if you can train yourself to be thankful in small things, it begins to change your heart to joy. 
Just this morning, I was walking the dogs at 6.30 in the morning. The sun was just coming up. I was walking along and hurrying the dogs along. And uh, I looked over, and there's this great big cloud out over the ocean, a great big cloud, dark and stormy looking. And I thought, man, that's just cool. Thank you, Lord, for just giving that to me today. The point I want you to see here is when you begin to have, sing songs of praise, when you begin to thank the Lord for small things, it begins to become a habit. It changed my life, and friends, it will change your life. Be thankful in all things. So this is my first point. How do we as Christians flourish in this world? How do we be people of joy and happiness? Well, when you're suffering, pray. When you're joyful, pray. In other words, simple and hard. Keep God your focus. Keep the Lord your focus in all things. If your heart is set on Jesus, you'll never be shaken. If your heart is set on Jesus, you'll begin to see blessings all around you that you never saw before. If your heart is trained to be thankful, friends, you will be more and more thankful for things you never saw. As your pastor, let me challenge you before I move on here. When you catch yourself in anger or bitterness or frustration, just give it to the Lord. Pray. When you have joy, pray. Make thankfulness a habit. If you want to flourish, friends, make God your focus. That's point number one from James. And point number two is how we live, how we act in this world, how our life, living differently rescues others from hell. Did you notice something pretty weird? If you've been following along James all these past five weeks, James has all been about you, well, and about the, the hearer, you know? Watch your tongue. Watch what you live for. Watch what you strive for. Watch how you treat people. Watch how you address other people. And then James, in the very last verse, does a complete 180, seemingly. He summarizes his whole letter with the following verse, verse 20. Whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save that sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. End of letter. It's kind of strange. If I wrote that letter, I'd have put a little, you know, go get them, you know, fight the good fight, a little bit of encouragement. That's not what James does. James actually ends the letter by saying, okay, I've showed you what you need to do. Now go and save someone from hell. Well, what does that mean? See, James summarizes his letter. This is so profound. Stay with me. He summarizes this letter, which is about your heart and mine, but he summarizes it with an outward focus. And see, here's the great big elephant in the living room that I alluded to a minute ago. If we are saved by grace, if we are saved by Jesus, and we cannot earn our way, why bother to live differently at all? Well, here's the answer. Because your actions will save someone else from hell. Remember, I've said this before, Christianity is relational. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are relational terms. Even God's nature is relational. The church is relational. And the reason, my brothers and sisters, why we are called to live differently from the world is to show the world a better way. God's way. The kingdom way. To pray when we suffer. To give thanks when we are joyful. To control our tongue. To choose our words wisely. All the things we've talked about in the past five weeks. And the reason we do these things is simple. Know why? It's to show the people around you 
that Jesus changes lives for good. The reason that you and I are called to live differently is not to prove ourselves, because Jesus has proven it, has earned our way, but rather to show the world around us that Jesus is changing and has changed your life for good, and he'll do it for you too. That your life is an example of thankfulness, of joy. I don't know why this is, but we as the church, I don't mean Trinity, I mean the church at large in the West anyway, has kind of lost the will, kind of lost the stomach to challenge people, to call people out when they're living at odds with Scripture, when they've gone off the res, as my friend used to say. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to cause hurt feelings. We don't want to be offensive or intolerant. But let me just ask you an obvious question. Is that even loving? Is that helpful? If you see somebody doing something against Scripture, which they claim to be a Christian, and you don't challenge them, friends, is that compassion? No, it's cowardice. If you and I really believe that Jesus changes lives for good, and I believe that, and I hope you do too, then you'd better be willing to bring someone back who's gone astray. Let me ask you this. When was the last time, when was the last time that you challenged someone who was doing something wrong? When was the last time you called someone, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a while. Hey, you've, you know, maybe you ought to not be doing that. The Lord's called you to something better than that. Why are you doing this? When has somebody ever done it to you? Friends, Jesus calls us to be examples, to be people that come alongside other people and rein them in to help them come back on the path when they've gone astray, that our lives might be an example of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. So, are you suffering? Pray. And pray that Jesus has got the power to give you strength. Are you cheerful? Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Because, friends, the way that you live helps you to flourish. But it also might be the way to show somebody else a better way and save them. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for St. James. And we thank you, Lord, for his letter to us, the church. A letter through which the Holy Spirit speaks to each and every one of us. Lord, give us wisdom, give us courage to address the things in our own hearts that need to be addressed and help our lives be examples of the love of Jesus that's changed our lives for good. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.